0: All right. Well, uh, good morning. Um, Thank you for joining us here at All Nations. Um, My name is Michael, and I'm on staff here, and it is always such a pleasure uh, to gather as a family of God, uh, to worship, to hear God's Word. And so thank you for uh, carving out time on a beautiful Sunday morning uh, for God and His glory. Well, we are continuing in our series through the book of Genesis today, and we're going to look at the infamous, kind of notorious story where Jacob steals uh, his older brother's blessing from a blind and dying father uh, by the name of Isaac. Uh, and so it's, it's it's infamous. It's difficult. The entire story runs from verse 1 to 45. Uh, but I once read 40 verses before a sermon, and afterwards I promised never to do that again. And so today we, we've kind of chopped it up. Uh, we're going to read uh, 21 verses together. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn to Genesis chapter 27, We'll be looking at 18 to 38, Genesis chapter 27, 18 to 38. I'll be reading from the ESV, and may God bless the reading of his holy and inspired word. So he went into his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am, who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me, now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord is blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it? that hunted game, and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Isaac Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing." Esau said, "'Is he not rightly named Jacob, for he has cheated me these two times? He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing.' Then he said, "'Have you not reserved a blessing for me?' Isaac answered and said to Esau, "'Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given him, given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son?' Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me even so, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Amen. The word of the Lord. Man, this is a complex story. It is a complicated story because it seems so morally flawed and corrupt. And yet this is the word of God. We're supposed to Learn something from it. We're supposed to be sanctified from this story. We're supposed to learn something about Jesus Christ and our lives and, and, and how we are called to live. But in this story, there isn't a single righteous character in the whole narrative. No one is good, not even one. Right? Not Isaac, not Rebecca, not Jacob, not Esau. And yet, this story is important. It is all part of the sovereign will of God. To establish Jacob as the true descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Isaac. Right? That's why the patriarchs are often named in Scripture Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. And this is a pivotal moment between Jacob and Esau and God's sovereign work in their lives. In addition, this passage is difficult because God seems terribly absent. He's, He's mentioned His name is invoked several times, but we are never told that that God is directly acting. God never speaks directly to any of the characters. God doesn't instruct Rebecca to do what she did. He doesn't command Jacob or Esau to do what they did. God seems very inactive and absent in this passage. All the characters seem to be acting out of their own accord, out of their own will. So what do we do with this passage? How are we to understand Genesis 27 and apply it in our lives? Well, before I answer these questions, I want to share with you how we got here. How did we get to this great deception where the blessing is stolen? In Genesis 25, uh, Rebecca, Rebecca was pregnant with twins. And inside, these twins were at war with each other. Uh, The Hebrew tells us they were like crushing each other. And it was a painful, difficult pregnancy. And so Rebecca went to the Lord and says, Why? Why me? Why is this pregnancy so difficult? It took us 20 years to get pregnant. And now, why is this happening? And God tells her, You know, there are two nations within you. You have twins, there are two brothers within you, and yet one will be stronger than the other. And the older will serve the younger. And that was a prophecy, that was an oracle that God gave Rebecca. And God gave to Isaac, parents of these twins. And so when the twins came out, Esau came out first, hairy and red, and Jacob came out seconds later, holding, latching onto his heel, grabbing his heel, and coming out as the second born. And that's why Jacob's name is, literally means heel grabber. Heel grabber. Well, their story continues. And the story tells us that Isaac loved Esau. Isaac the father loved Esau the firstborn because Esau was a great hunter and he loved the game. He loved the food that Esau would prepare for his father. And on the other side, Rebekah. Rebekah loved Jacob. So even from the early days, there was partiality. Both parents were guilty of favoritism. The father loved Esau. The mother loved Jacob. And one day when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau returned from a full day of hunting and he was exhausted and he was famished and he was starving. And so Esau went to his brother and he asked for some stew. He said, can I have some stew? I am dying of hunger. And Jacob said, sure, you can. Just give me your birthright. You can have this red stew. Give me your birthright. Give me the inheritance, right, of our father's household. Hardly a reasonable request. The inheritance of the firstborn son is double that of the second son, right? Who would trade that in for a bowl of stew? That is so ridiculous, right? It's so offensive, none of us would even ask. And yet Jacob asks, and Esau says, what good is a birthright to me? I'm about to die. And he trades down. He trades his inheritance, his birthright, for a bowl of of stew. And thus, the scriptures tell us Esau despised his birthright. And this was the beginning of God's prophecy becoming true. This was God's prophecy becoming true that the younger would be greater, stronger than the older, that the elder would serve the younger. And so we saw this becoming true in Genesis 25. And here in Genesis 27, we're seeing this come even more to fruition. In Genesis 27, the blessing of Isaac is stolen. And we're going to see three things in our passage. First, we're going to see the struggle for this blessing. Why is this something that all the family members seem to be going to war and fighting over? There's something about the blessing that is so precious, so valuable, that they are willing to backstab and lie and deceive for it. We're going to see a struggle for the blessing. Second, we're going to see the sacrifice for the blessing. What are we willing to give up to receive a blessing from God? And we're going to see what Jacob's willing to sacrifice here. And finally, we're going to see how we, as the people of God, how you and I can receive the blessing of God. So we're going to look at the struggle, the sacrifice, and then how we can get it, how we can receive it. Well, church, friends, have you guys ever stolen anything? Yeah, don't raise your hand. It's cool. Like, yeah, don't raise your hand. If you haven't, man, you are quite the saint, right? You are truly the saint. You're a better person than I am. Uh, Because I'm going to confess to you that I have stolen before. I have stolen before. Uh, My most vivid memory of of thievery, right? It's not my only one, but my most vivid one uh, came from grade school. I was with my mom at a drugstore. And, you know, your mom's like running errands and, you know, I was a grade school kid. And so I went to like the toy section and there's nothing there. And I went to the pen section and I saw this really cool pack of pencils that had a skull and crossbones on it, right? And I was like, I got to get these pencils, These are really cool. My friends are going to dig them. I'm going to sharpen them, use them for my workbooks and all of that stuff. It's it's going to be fantastic, right? I need these pencils. And so I went up to my mom, and I said, Mom, can I have these pencils? And my mom is this conservative, first-generation Christian Korean woman. She sees the skull and crossbones. She thinks like Satan, right? And she's like, no way. You cannot have pencils with skulls and crossbones. And she got upset at me, right? And then I get upset at her, right? And she's like, let's leave, let's leave. And so she just walks away. But I stayed in the aisle, and I lingered, and I looked at those pencils. And I wanted those pencils, but when my mom said I couldn't have them, you know what happened to me? I wanted them even more. I went from I want them to I have to have them now, right? I have to have them. And so I looked around, kind of seeing if anyone's watching me, seeing if there's any workers around And at the right moment, I took those pencils and I just slid them down my sleeve, right? Super smooth, like Mission Impossible, James Bond type of stuff, right? I just slid them down my sleeve, walked out the drugstore. My heart was racing. I was terrified, but I made it out with those pencils. I was such a little sinner, right? Such such a little sinner, well, church, in our passage today, uh, Jacob isn't the only thief. Okay? You read this passage and you think, man, Jacob, you are such a thief. You are such a deceiver. You are such a wretched little sinner. But in reality, everyone here is guilty of trying to steal something. They are all thieving. They are all trying to steal in our story. Everyone is fearing loss. They're afraid that, that their loved one, that their dreams, their goals, their desires, their ambitions are not going to be met. They're afraid of losing, and so they're willing to steal in order to get what they want. This family is one of the most dysfunctional in all of Scripture. In fact, you read these 45 verses, there isn't a moment where all four of them are together. Did you know that? There's no moment where they're like, oh, let's all have a meal together. Let's hold hands and pray. Let's, let's check in with each other. There is none of that, okay? In fact, they're always just scheming, and they're always in conflict, and they're always angry, and there's something going on. So we see in the beginning, you know, Isaac and Esau, they've got a plan. And then Rebecca is not, like, part of the conversation. She's eavesdropping, right? And she's like, oh, my gosh, my husband. Oh, Right? And then after that, Rebecca goes to Isaac and say, hey, we got a plan. Yeah, mommy and her, her beloved beautiful son, we got a plan, right? And then and there's all of these little divided, divided moments, right? It's so dysfunctional. There's no love. There's no unity in this family. And so what I want to do is uh, take a moment and look at each of the four main characters and see how they are striving to steal this blessing, how they're operating out of selfishness, how they're, how they're operating out of their own accord to try and steal this blessing, steal what they desire. So let's begin with Isaac. Now, we don't know if Isaac and Rebecca were ever aware of the great soup debacle, okay? We don't know if they ever found out that Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. I'm sure that if you were Esau, you probably didn't like, tell, tell that to a lot of people because you're so ashamed, you're so embarrassed for that bad transaction. So we don't know if Isaac and Rebekah knew that, but we do know that Isaac and Rebekah were well aware of the prophecy that God gave them, that the older would serve the younger. That within Rebekah, there are two nations at war with each other. Within Rebekah, there is one that will be stronger than the other. Isaac knew this. You know what happened? That prophecy didn't sit well with him. He didn't say, oh, thus says the Lord, I'm going to to follow and trust in him. No. Isaac, he loved Esau. He loved that red, hunting, gaming firstborn. He favored him, and Isaac desperately wanted to bless Esau as his heir. And at the beginning of Genesis 27, it tells us that when Isaac became old, and when he was blind and he was nearing death, what Isaac did is he summoned Esau to come. He said, come, come my son, go hunt some game, prepare a delicious meal for me that I may eat it and that I may bless you, right? This was Isaac's plan. I gotta, lo- I gotta bless you, Esau. I love you. I know you're not the chosen one, but, but I have to try. Growing up, when I read this, I didn't think that there was a big deal. I was like, okay, you know? The father wants to bless the first son, right? I said, what's the big deal? I'm the first son. If like, my dad wants to bless me, we're good. We want to have some separate time. He wants to give me a little extra allowance. Amen to that, right? So I didn't think that there was anything troublesome and problematic when I first heard this. When Isaac's like, hey, go, go hunt something down, prepare a meal, I want to bless you, right? But the more I thought about this, the more I read this, the more I studied this, I saw there's a real problem here. It's not just that, that Isaac loves Esau. It's that Isaac is rebelling against God. Isaac knows Jacob is the chosen one. God himself has declared it, but Isaac won't accept it. He's rebelling. He's not just physically blind. His love for Esau and his selfish ambition has blinded him spiritually. He's blinded him to the will of God. And in his own way, he's trying to steal a blessing that belongs to Jacob and give it to his son, Esau. Give it to his son, Esau. Next, let's look at Esau. He's often painted as a neutral character here, right? Esau didn't seem to do anything wrong. Well, here's the fact. He's not. He's not neutral at all. Esau is compliant with his father's wicked plan. He knows he sold his birthright to his younger brother, and that the blessing is part of that birthright. You see, it's interesting that, that these two are kind of divided here. Uh, in Hebrews, when we're interpreting uh, this section and this interaction, um, it's, it's one. It's one blessing. It's one birthright. It's one inheritance. right? But here, it's kind of divided, and, and I think there's a, there's a narrative purpose to that. Right? So Esau knows, hey, I lost the birthright, but maybe, maybe I can get the blessing. There's no doubt in my mind that he had seller's remorse, and he was thinking of ways to get that birthright back. And so here in our story, Esau is trying to steal back his birthright from Jacob by going along with his father's plan. He wants that blessing. He wants that approval. He wants that power and privilege back. But Rebecca, Rebecca overhears her husband's plan, and she intervenes with a scheme of her own. And so as soon as Esau goes off, and these are the preceding verses to uh, 18, we jumped in on 18, right? Uh, But as soon as Esau leaves to go hunt, Rebekah's like, Jacob, come, I have a plan. And I'm just gonna read verse nine to uh, 13 for us. This is what Rebekah says. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man. I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. That last verse is chilling, isn't it? When Jacob is afraid, he's like, we're going to get caught, Mom. And it's not just being caught that's bad. What happens if if Dad doesn't just just not bless me, but what if he curses me? Because there is a curse reserved for people who lie. Deuteronomy tells us and warns us about false witness and the curses that comes from that. And he's like, what if Dad curses me? And Rebecca says, let that curse fall on me. You obey me. Just do what I say. Now, there are some commentators who have made Rebecca to be the hero of this story. Have you guys heard that? That Rebecca is the hero of this story. But that's not actually correct. Now, Rebecca was right to say, hey, Jacob is the child of promise. Jacob is the younger one. Jacob is the one who's gonna continue that line of Abraham and Isaac and the people of God. She knew that, and she was clinging to that, and that was absolutely correct. But that didn't give us, give her, a license to lie, and deceive. What should Rebecca have done? Not gone behind her husband's back, right? Husbands, right? Right. This is the age of communication, right? Just ha- what, what Rebecca should have done is confronted her disobedient husband. She should have been like, "Hey, remember." my pregnancy. Remember the word of God. Remember the oracle. Remember the prophecy. It is not about Esau. It's about Jacob. Husband, what are you trying to do right now? That's what, she'd have should, that's what she should have done. She should have trusted for God to provide and bring the blessing to Jacob in God's way and in God's time. And yet Rebecca didn't. Rebecca's like, no, I've got to take care of this. I've got to, I've got to take matters in my own hands. And so even though, in the end, Rebecca seemed to be right and things ultimately worked out in the big picture, did you guys know in their own family, in Rebecca's own life, in Jacob's life, the decision was costly, that this produced a lot of pain and dysfunction and division. So after this great deception, after this stealing of Esau's blessing, you know what happens? Jacob has to run away. He flees the household for 20 years. And even worse, Esau, his brother, when he finds out that Jacob stole his blessing, Esau's like, I'm gonna kill him. The next time I see my brother Jacob, I'm going to kill him. With the same kind of anger and angst that Cain had towards his brother Abel, Esau had that towards Jacob. So Jacob's like, I gotta run. The hunter is coming after me, right? I have to run. Did you know, did you know that after Rebecca sends her beloved Jacob away, she never sees him again for the rest of her life? She never sees him. She dies without ever being able to hold, kiss, and love on her beloved son, Jacob. So yes, her decision seems right in the big picture, but it was costly. It was costly. And that should warn us from just thinking that, hey, the ends justify the means. No, they don't. This is not what this story is about. It's not about do whatever it takes to glorify God, the ends justify the means, because, no, God is not telling us it's okay to lie and deceive and to steal, right? That's not the life that God wants us to live. Now, what's going on? Uh, there's there's Jacob. Sorry. There's Finally, there's Jacob. We're going to talk about him in the second point, uh, but he does come off as the worst in the whole story. He deceives his father. He even takes the Lord's name in vain in order to get, to get away with his lie, right? To cover his tracks even more, he's like, the Lord, your God, provided the quick hunt for me. Right? That is bold, right, guys? That is bold. He took the Lord's name in vain in, in about the, the worst way possible and um, all of that to steal his brother's blessing. So what's the deal about this blessing? Why, are, why is this family losing their minds, right? They're shredding and tearing this family apart for this blessing. What is the big point? Why is there so much conflict? Because for you and I, we don't think of blessing as something so precious, right? If someone sneezes, what do you say? God bless you, right? No big deal, right? You find $20 in your pocket, you're like, hashtag blessed, right? <laughs> blessed! right? You're driving home from work on like the 210 and there's no traffic. You're like, oh my hashtag blessed, right? So we throw that word blessing around so casually that it it really doesn't make sense for us to be like, dude, this blessing tore this family apart, right? For us, blessing has been reduced to a warm wish and some good fortune. But in Isaac's day, the blessing meant so much more they knew that in the blessing of Isaac was the blessing of Abraham, okay? In the blessing of Isaac was the blessing of God and all of his covenant promises to Abraham that God would be your God and that you would be his people, that you would become a great nation, that you would receive a land, a land flowing with milk and honey, that all of the nations would be blessed through you. And so no, this was not just warm emotions and good fortune and positivity. No, this is the covenant promise that God made to Abraham, that that is gonna flow from Isaac's lips when he blesses one of these sons. And we hear it in Isaac's words. When Isaac blesses Jacob, he prays that he would receive prosperity in the field, right? Prosperity among the nations prosperity and glory in the family, that all of his brothers would become his servants to him. And finally, there's that great blessing that whoever blesses him will be blessed and whoever curses him would be cursed, right? That echoes of God's uh, blessing to Abraham and his promise and his covenant to Abraham. So they knew that that was on the line. That's why this blessing was so precious. That's why this blessing was so powerful because the Abrahamic covenant was within the blessing of Isaac. Now, I, I said that there's a kind of divorce that we have or disconnect that we have with this idea of like blessing and it being so important. But um, I actually think that if you just reflect a little bit, you'll find that we actually do know the power of words. We actually do experience the weight of words and how much it shapes your identity. Because these words shaped Jacob's identity, and it shaped Esau's identity. When Esau got cursed and Jacob got blessed, that changed their trajectory for the rest of their lives. Think about your own experiences. Think about your wounds, your hurts, your discouragements. Yes, there are times when physically we do experience wounds. Maybe someone gives us a push. Maybe a sibling punched us in the face. Maybe we had some kind of altercation with a neighbor. But those are far and few between, aren't they? The majority of our wounds are emotional baggage. They come from words. They come from this idea of blessing and cursing. They come from your parents favoring your other sibling over you. You experiencing the neglect of your father or your mother, right? Right? the verbal abuse of your older sibling who's always berating you and cutting you down and talking down to you, right? We've experienced all of those things and they've been destructive in our emotional health, destructive in our identity. And so don't tell me that, hey, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me, right? That's like the worst lie we tell our kids and we sing it, right, as a nursery rhyme. When in reality, you and I, we've been so devastated by hurtful words, but at the same time, we've been so encouraged by loving words, words that build up, words when someone does tell you, I love you and thank you and, and you're gifted and you're special and you're beautiful, right? The, the, those words, those promises, man, they shape our identity as well. And so we know, we know in our life and in our experience, the power of blessing the pain of cursing, maybe not to the extent of Jacob and Esau. And yet if we search our hearts and investigate our own experience, we do know, yes, the words of a beloved father who affirms you and believes in you. That means so much. Or the words of an abusive father who tells you you're no good and you're never gonna be good enough. That is so destructive as well. In our passage, we see Jacob go to great lengths to receive this blessing, this positive, powerful blessing from his father, Isaac. We're told how the blessing is stolen and it is not an easy endeavor. Isaac, though he's blind, he is not easily convinced. And Jacob has to pass kind of five tests to receive this blessing. Five questions, five tests. And so the first, Isaac asks, who are you, my son? Jacob responds, I am Esau, your first son. then he asked, how is it you found the, the game so quickly? That doesn't make sense. Like, like these hunts, these deer, they're not just like, not like you know, they're not easy to catch. And, and then after that, you have to prepare it. And then here, Jacob commits that great blasphemy. He says, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Liar, right? Third test, third question. Then Isaac asks to feel Jacob because he, he's like, I hear the voice of Jacob but you're saying you're Esau. Let me at least feel your skin because I know that Esau's the hairy one and Jacob's the smooth one, but but Rebecca's like, hey, let's take some young goat skins, put them on the back of your neck, put them on your hands and your forearms so that when your blind father touches you, he'll think that you're Esau. That's how hairy Esau was. Like Hairy as a goat, right? <laughs> well, he passed that test. He's like, oh, you are hairy, like my son Esau even though he still sound like Jacob. And so he's still not fully convinced. So fourth test, fourth question. He said, are you really my son? Jacob simply says, I am. He says, okay, then, then bring the food. Bring what you prepared. And so Jacob brought the food before him. And he says, mm, this, is, this is right. This is just like Esau prepares it, which says one more thing about Rebekah, that Rebecca was practicing that she was scheming, that she learned how to prepare her husband's favorite dish just like her son prepares it, right? That's not just an overnight thing. There's no like kind of, you know, food network recipe. Like she was watching and she was learning and she was preparing and she did that for Jacob. Man, like manipulative, right? Rebecca's no joke, right? The fifth test. Finally, Isaac asked Jacob to come near and kiss him. And what Rebecca had Jacob do, not just put on the skins, but Rebecca said, hey, here are Esau's best clothes. And so Jacob was wearing Esau's garments, right? And so Jacob goes and he kisses his father. And when Isaac smells Esau's clothes on Jacob, he was then convinced. He was then convinced and blessed his son. Tim Keller says that there's a tragic part to this story we often miss. And when I heard him kind of unpack that, that it, it rocked me. And what he says is we get so distracted by the details, we, we miss what's really going on in the passage. You see, Jacob knew that he was the chosen one. He knew it. His mom told that to him. And that's why he said, I'm gonna take the birthright and I'm gonna take the blessing. Rebecca knew that he was the chosen one, right? Right? Esau knew it. Isaac knew it. He believed it. His mother loved him for it. Jacob knew that he was the true heir and firstborn of his father's household. But you know what? Even though Isaac knew it, he never treated Jacob that way. He never acknowledged Jacob in that way. He never looked at Jacob as his firstborn. He never loved Jacob as the one who would inherit his household and carry on the line of his, great grand, of his grandfather, Abraham? No, his father never treated him that way. Isaac loved Esau. And even to the end, even to the end, he chose to bless, not Jacob. He blessed who he thought was Esau, right? Even at the end, he was like, Esau, Esau, I love you, my beloved son, I'm going to bless you, Esau. And the whole time, Jacob is like, yeah, I'm Esau, your firstborn. You see, in the end, Jacob did receive his father's blessing, but not as Jacob. He had to dress up as Esau in order to receive his father's love. You see how painful that must have been? You want that love. You want that affirmation. You want that affection. But your father keeps saying the other brother's name. So is that really you? Is that really yours? In order to receive that blessing, that approval, that love that he wanted his entire life, Jacob had to dress up and act like and smell like his brother Esau. That's tragic, isn't it? But friends, don't we dress up as well? You and I, we dress up to get the things that we want, we dress up in friendships, right? To be accepted by a type of people. Well, I, the 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 common word is peer pressure, and we think that's so like juvenile. But guys, peer pressure is we're, real. Okay, dudes, if all your friends are wearing skinny jeans, what do you wear? Skinny jeans. I got skinny jeans on right now. I do not have the courage to wear like silver tabs or cargo pants anymore. I got to keep it cool, right? Girls, if all the girls are wearing a certain kind of makeup, right? Buying certain kinds of bags, shopping in certain clothes, stores, whatever it might be, you fall in suit. You fall in suit, even if it's uncomfortable. Even if those shoes are like the worst feeling, you know, you like hate those shoes, but they're, 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 they're popular. And so you go through that suffering to conform, We've done that in friendships to receive acceptance and community that we desperately want. We're not ourselves. We're what everyone wants us to be. And this gets even worse in relationships, right? In order to win lovers, in order to win affection, we are not ourselves. We're not safe and we're not comfortable. and We're not courageous enough to be ourselves. We're always thinking, what does this person want me to be? What does she want me to do that will make her happy, that will impress her? What does he want me to do that will make him love me? And that, that question drives at the heart of so many people, so many single people, even married people. There. What do I need to do to keep you from leaving me? What do I need to do to keep you loving me and committed to this relationship? And we're not ourselves. We're not safe. We don't have the breathing room. And the security to just be ourselves. We're always asking, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to be? We're always dressing up for other people. And that's tragic. Even more so, we do this before God, don't we? We dress up for church. Someone says, how's your week? You're like, praise the Lord, PTL, right? How are you doing? How are your quiet times? You know, I'm, you know, we learned how to talk. We're like, oh, kind of struggling, but God is good, all the time, God is good. We dress up for church before the presence of God. We dress up for one another in small groups, in worship, in this thing that we call community because we're afraid that if we're truly ourselves, we won't be accepted. We're afraid that if we do more than just say, oh, I struggle with a little bit of anger or I could use a prayer for better time management and discipline, if you, we're afraid to say, no, I have these real addictions. I have these real fears. I have these real doubts. We're afraid that that this community and this church or even that God won't accept us. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. You know what you and I truly desire in our hearts? We desire to be both truly loved and truly known. And that's what we need. We need to be truly loved and Truly known, because if you are loved but not known, that's just Jacob, right? Jacob received love from his father, but he wasn't known. His father wasn't even calling out the right name. And so what kind of love is that? That's a tragic love, that is a sorry love, right? And if you are known but not loved, you're in danger. You're in danger because then you can be judged. If you are fully known and they know all of your secrets, all of your sins, all of your struggles, all of your nakedness, and you're not loved and accepted, then that is a terrifying place to be. So much insecurity there. We're vulnerable there. And that's why we need not just one of them to be known or loved. We need both of them. So what do we do? How do we receive this blessing of God where we can receive both the knowledge and the love? Well, the answer is in Christ. Jesus Christ is the only way you can receive this true blessing, this true fatherly blessing. How so? Is it just like, oh, I just sing Jesus and say the sinner's prayer, we're good? No. The way this happens, the way this works, is because Jesus Christ dressed up as us in order to secure the blessing of God for us. All right. And I hope you guys make that connection. See, Jacob had to dress up to receive his father's blessing. Jesus had to dress up to offer you and I the father's blessing. So Jesus took on human flesh, he became fully man. He left that. Perfect throne room of God where there is absolute joy, power, glory, and fellowship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He left that divine, holy, sacred place and he came down on earth and he dressed up as us so that you and I can receive the blessing of God. But in order for Jesus to do this fully, he didn't just secure the blessing, he had to endure the curse. And so Jesus experienced deception far greater than that of Esau. I mean, you think, "Oh my gosh, Isaac got deceived by his wife and his son. Oh my gosh, Esau got deceived. He 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 gave up his birthright. He gave up his blessing all because Jacob the deceiver stole that from him." Jesus Christ experienced a deception and a betrayal so much greater. At the last supper, Matthew tells us Jesus was having the Passover meal with his disciples. And he sits back. This is what Matthew says. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the 12. And as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. One of the 12 disciples. And they started looking at each other like, is it you? Is it you? Is it you? And it's like probably like mafia, right? They're like trying to figure out who is going to betray Jesus. And Jesus says another prophecy about the person who dips the the bread and the wine. And it was Judas. What happened? Judas betrayed Jesus. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which is the price of a slave. Jesus was betrayed by his beloved, one of the men who swore their allegiance to him, who would call Jesus their their Lord, their master, their teacher, their rabbi. Judas betrayed him. But it wasn't just Judas, because Jesus then says, hey, it's not just him. All of you guys are going to scatter. And in fact, Peter, you're going to deny me as well. Peter's like, no, I won't. Well, Peter did. And Jesus on the cross, he was abandoned by his disciples. He was denied by Peter. He was betrayed by Judas. The amazing thing about our God is that he used even these terrible acts of deception for his sovereign purposes and our redemption. That's the power of our God. I mean, truly guys, it is so hard to reconcile in in our minds, in our frameworks, in our theology and doctrine between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man and the sovereignty of God and the, the evil works of men. But all I can say is we see it in the gospel. We don't just see it in the Old Testament and these Genesis narratives. We see it ultimately in the gospel that our God is a God who's able to work out evil for good. And we see it in Jesus. And Paul understands it at the end. Paul, after his full turnaround and his restoration in Acts, in Acts 2, he's preaching at Pentecost. And Paul says, this Jesus delivered up Delivered up, which means betrayed, right? Sent to the cross, sent to judgment, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. That's an amazing scripture passage that we have and an amazing hope. Friends, I know we're familiar with that scripture that God is a God who can work all things out for our good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I know that that, that seems like, oh, that's just like an Instagram verse or that's just like, ah, like, oh, you know, like I, I get it, but I don't feel it. Friends, you reflect upon the gospel. You read the scriptures and you see that our God is a God who's able to work out all things for the good of his people who are called according to his purpose. Would you believe in that? Would you believe that in Jesus Christ, you can call God your father in heaven? That in Jesus Christ, you can be fully loved and fully known. You don't have to dress up. You don't have to hide. You don't have to lie to God. You don't have to lie to yourself. You can be exactly who you are and know that Jesus is enough to save you, to cleanse you, and forgive you. Would you receive him? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are a mighty and a sovereign God. We want to confess that we are a people who are so wayward and, and we make a mess of things. We lie, we cheat, we steal, we deceive, we, we, we plan our lives and, and we scheme according to our selfish ambition all we could say, God, is thank you that you are greater than we are and you are mightier than our, our will, that you're more sovereign over our lives and, and try as we might to derail them and derail others and ruin others. We know, God, that, that you are a God who's able to work out all things according to your definite plan, according to your goodness and your power, to make much of your son, Jesus Christ, in the cross and to show us the power of your grace. So Lord, would you help us to seek out your true blessing and would you remind us and really press upon our hearts that that blessing of being known and loved is freely ours and only ours through the perfect work of Jesus Christ. Help us to cling to you and trust in you and receive you. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray.